follow the adventures of a librarian turned sniper, Liberty Schoenhauer, who finds that aliens started the zombie apocalypse. These things happen. She is aided by the great uncle Danny Toughest Nails, and together they try and save as many people in the book Liberty's Run. Book one is out now at Amazon and Mythmart, and book two is coming soon in August. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Mythbits. I am your host, Jenna Sparks, and this is episode 178. So again, welcome to the world of Myth Bits. Uh, we have a- another huge, gigantic episode. But before we delve into that, let us first go over some very important housekeeping. So as such, as 2022 is the 30-year anniversary of the company, Dark Myth Publications will be releasing a special hardback edition of The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of Dark Myth. We are asking for anyone who has worked with the Jazomon Dark Myth Company to send in a small write-up about your time in the company. So go ahead and send that to Dave at davidkmontoya at jazomondarkmyth.com. Also, it is finally official. Let us welcome Henry Henrik to the Jazomon Dark Myth family as the new editor-in-chief of Dark Myth Comics. So a hearty, hearty welcome, Mr. Henry Henrik. Next up, New Wave Comics is looking for submissions uh, for the comedy parody magazine, Durr. Please send inquiries to john at jk.art75 at gmail.com. And a reminder for the open open contract challenge, uh, the 11 contestants moving on to the next round uh, closes June 10th. That is your deadline. So get those chapters in. Only five will move on forward. Good luck. Next up, Mythmart West Coast, uh, the nominee for executive board director, Executive director <laughs> has been approved by the board of directors. You can see where I got messed up there. Uh, and a contract will be drawn up this week as a part of the company's global expansion project. And on the PCE 2022 front, we are still awaiting information for the agent uh, regarding the venue. And as stated last week, Outsider Distribution's director Christopher Harris began his daunting task of contacting over 600, measly 600, uh, bookstores worldwide to begin building our distribution. As of Sunday, it was reported that Mr. Harris has already contacted about 200 of those contacts. So holy 
crap. Uh, next up, Dave has announced uh, that the board of directors will be separated into two boards and one committee. The advisory committee headed by Alan Russo will be involved in a monthly analysis of the company, reporting any problems or flaws that they spot. In turn, the chairman of the committee will sit on the board of directors and report those findings monthly at each board meeting. Next is the leadership board. Walter G. Esselman is the chairman, uh, and he will meet with leadership board members, the managers and directors of each division of the company, and gather monthly information uh, based on their reports. Then, uh, we will, then we'll return with that information uh, to the board of directors. And finally, the board of directors who are formed by the company's executive officers and the chair from each outside group. Together, they will discuss the company as a whole. So uh, doing a whole lot of rearranging, which is uh, a healthy, a healthy sign and uh, definitely beneficial. <sighs> so that all being said, uh, like I said, this episode is a continuation of last week's episode where we stopped uh, less than, than a quarter way through and uh, Dave and I, we got to talking again and, uh, you know, because this is a celebration of the 30 year anniversary of the Dark Myth Company and all of its... Uh, babies, if you will, <laughs> the little, the little eggs that have been nurtured. Um, yeah, so this is, this is another huge, gigantic episode and it is not the last. There is still a lot of information. So, uh, I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to bore you. I just want to jump into the nitty gritty of it all. So without further ado, I introduce to you the second part of uh, my interview with David K. Montoya. Enjoy. So in 2004, after, you know, some time off and some lessons learned, you decided to launch the world of the dark myth, yeah. uh, which was a webzine featuring cyber comics, short stories, company news, and highlights. How interesting! <laughs> uh, how did you see or start to see the the trends shift in this time? You know, in this day and age. Before. We had the new wave, not new wave, sorry, new myth. We were still running under new myth. Um, I had pur purchased the title because I felt like it was not smart to have these people come in and then all of a sudden it went to dark myth. Yeah. So we, we did this website and if you click on... A comic book, you can read an online comic book, or you can read uh, a short story. And I noticed that there's more people coming to, to read the stories. And then after 2001, you know, what happened, you know, 2011, or 9-11, rather, um, then we came back and 
we, we took that same formula, but this time we took away the new myth finally, and we put dark myth back in it because I mm-hmm. wanted to go back to the original title of dark myth. And it was more of a test drive to see what people wanted because I had been away from the public for a while. Um, there was some time I, I did. Uh, we we tried to put out the the Outsiders comic through Danix, and that that was a bust. And oh no, that was prior. That was prior to the the dark. Um, I'm getting my timelines mixed up. <laughs> and um, so I wanted to see what what people were into. And I realized that people were more into short stories than reading comics online. And I'm like, okay, you know. And I realized at that point because Rebecca was writing a story called Black Lake Inn. And I was getting a lot of, you know, this needs to be edited, blah, blah, blah. And I was working at uh, a hospital at the time. And I just, I didn't have time for editing. And that was kind of when I realized, okay, I need an editor. And as things always happen in my head, well, if Mm -hmm. I need this, I need to do this, and I need to add this and take this away. And uh, that'll probably lead into your second question. (laughs) You opted uh, to make a few changes. (laughs) Exactly as as you were getting into. Uh, But you also included nixing the comics and expanding uh, the short stories and poetry or adding places for poetry in the artwork. but that introduces um, a new aspect. Uh, so let's talk about Terry D. Shearer and how he came to be involved. Life changing. That is what pops into my head when I think of meeting Terry D. Shearer. He changed my life. I never had a mentor. I don't know if it was because I was young and thought highly of myself to have a mentor. I don't know. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me, let me go ahead and start. <laughs> so, Terry and I worked in ICU, intensive care unit in the hospital. And I found out he was a writer and I was reading his stuff and I enjoyed it. And we legitimately became friends in that time. <laughs> and the, that year, in 2004, early 2004, <laughs> I'm like, hey, this is my, my game plan. I want you to be the editor chief. He looked at me. And his deep voice, Dave, respectably, yeah, <laughs> F off. But he oh. wouldn't say F. Yeah. 
He had a choice word. <laughs> I, okay. So I come back the next week. Change your mind? No. Okay. Come back the next week. Then in the following week. And then I stopped asking. I said, okay, I'll have to find you one. That's when he, he called me. He had Lacey frantic because he left a voicemail. He's like, this is Detective such and such from Apple Valley uh, Police Department. I just have David Montoya come into the department for questioning. And Lacey was freaking out. <laughs> but I knew who the voice was. Lacey did. So she was freaking out. And so I called her. It's like, all right, you win. I'll do it for one issue. One issue. <laughs> okay. So I had it. I knew I had it. <laughs> and I explained that it was a magazine, but it was dedicated to the creatives that were still raw. We were there to help them hone their craft. And that has, to this day, is still the reason why we exist. Think about all the people that have come in, we've helped them, and then we've gone off to publish bigger, better things. Yeah. Uh, in that time, the second life-changing thing was said to me. I remember it was, we were smokers back then. We were at the hospital, so we were allowed to go down and have a cigarette together. And we were walking down the hospital, and he goes, Dave, you've become like a son to me. Thank you. You know, I've always reflecting back on the whole family thing. Yeah. He goes, you're amazing. You're an amazing writer. You're an amazing talent. But son, only if you follow through would you be great. I go, what do you mean? He goes, follow through. There is things that meet success, but on, on the whole, that everything that you've done, you just kind of fade away. You don't follow through. If you want to be great in this world, follow through. From that moment, I made it a point in my life to always follow. Yeah, I think, you know, because uh, the way that you have always spoken about Terry, um, I think the, it, it makes a lot of sense, you know, the way, like I said, you speak about him and the way, you know, like you, you were explaining about family and everything, and it just kind of clicks, it really clicks. And I think, I mean, it's, it's, you'd have to be completely 
uh, uh, remiss to not notice the impact, you know, and I never knew Terry. I didn't even know you when, you know, you knew Terry. Um, and you can tell his presence is still like, it. it's just so deeply woven into everything you do and everything that the magazine is. The world of myth, as we know it today for the most part, was born with issue one's launch in September of 2004. Six. And it was without, this is what astonished me the most, it was without what had started your own personal journey, uh, which was comics. Yes. Up until this point, you had always managed to involve comics in every endeavor that you've been doing. So, I mean, like that's that's got to be a whole spectrum of emotion and maturity just to experience. And and you know, I hate to dumb it down, but like, what was that like to to? It feels almost like a, a death in a way, where it's like I have to move forward without this. I wanted to be a better writer, and. In order to be a better writer, I had to be able to expand mediums. And working with Terry and reading his short stories excited me. I mean, I tried to write The Wall of Terrence, which is a tribute to him. And it was crappy. It was absolutely crappy. Because when you're in comics, you don't have to worry about syntax or grammar, or punctuation. You have you have a period, a comma, and an explanation point. Oh, and, and yeah. a question. That's it. Sometimes an italicized or bolded word. <laughs> and that's... There... It kind of felt like a death to, to say goodbye to the comics. And I didn't consciously realize that this was the next stage of my life. Terry would spend years teaching me like an English teacher. Because his, his mom was an English teacher. So he had that ability to teach me in that, that same process. And then he did something that I didn't know was plausible. Honestly, honestly. Because when you're in comics, you, you do frame by frame by frame, right? So you see it like you're watching a movie, right? You take a picture of that frame, and that's what you write down. He's like, okay... We're standing here. What do you see? And I, I explained what I saw in front of me. He goes, well, what's to your left? I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I don't see it. He's like, turn your head. Actually, it was more like, turn your head, dumbass. <laughs> so I, uh, no, not your physical head. In your mind. Turn your head. <laughs> you your inner peripheral brain. And I looked and I'm like, holy crap, there's stuff over there. And then 
looked over there and then turned around and looked behind me. He taught me how to move the camera in my head. Yeah. And I didn't know that was a thing until I met him. But he's the one who really taught me how to be a writer. And in fact, it's funny you say that because Steph and I were just recently talking. Um, We were laughing because Russo... Okay, so jumping back to New Wave, Sorority Slaughters, we changed the the name that rhymed with putts. We changed Mm -hmm. it to Slaughters. (laughs) And Terry, before he died, it was like one of the last things he did. He plotted the action sequence to the comic. And then Russo came in and, and scripted it. And I was laughing. I said, I couldn't do that because <laughs> I, I'm wordy. And Steph said, well, that's because you're not a comic writer anymore. <laughs> and it, it kind of hit me. I'm like, that's true. That's true. I mean, I can write a good comic, but up until that point of meeting Terry, I've always was a comic writer. Yeah. Now, moving forward, I've become a writer. You've evolved. Yes. You've evolved. And I mean, it's, it's, that's what always kind of cracks me up because, you know, when you, when you start tackling a, uh, a genre of, of a career, a creative career field, when you start tackling fiction, you know, it, it does kind of crack me up because I don't, I, a lot of people who aren't in creative fields, I don't think they realize that there is such a vast difference of the brain space and education that goes into the slightest shifted, you know, medium. So there's such a big difference between comic writing versus, you know, uh, uh, writing a short story. You know, it's, it's, if you have the talent to do both, you know, yeah, of course, but it takes an entirely different set of skills to be successful in both mediums. And uh, that always just, it's, it's so funny to me because it's hard it is hard. And, you know, you know, I'm, it's impossible for me to write anything less than 3000 words, guys. Like I can't, <laughs> I cannot do it. I mean, holy one of the crap. things that Terry gave me was needful things. Was it needful things? That was the anthology, yeah. right? Stephen King anthology. Short yeah. 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 Uh, the intro was written by Stephen King and he talks about, the lost art form of short stories that even him, one of the world's greatest writers, doesn't have that ability to write a short story. Nope. <laughs> no, he does not. <laughs> and that was awesome. That was that was something monumental right there. As for me as a writer, because I it's can validating. do something that Stephen King can. Yeah. I'm just Dave. Uh, that's when I'm near death and I publish my autobiography, that's going to be the name of it. I'm just Dave. Just Dave. 
<laughs> no, your the title of your of your book is going to be um I will let you do that, Dave. <laughs> Instead of I can't let you do that, Dave. Sorry. My my nerd brain jumping in. Okay. Or maybe Dave's so, not here, man. Uh, <laughs> All right. So from this point forward, though, it seems like all your hard work had finally started to kind of level out and the magazine started to grow in success and even renown over the next couple of years. And you were able to see other facets of the company come to fruition, including pre-production uh, on Body Bag, which seems to have been a major passion project and a little bit of a pain uh, i'm just curious because you said you've kind of alluded to but uh i'm just curious and without getting into too much trouble because i don't know if there are issues with rights or anything but can we get an idea what the film might have looked like we still made it did he he did it in 2000 2000, 2001, somewhere. Um, it was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> because it was only like a 30-page script. So it wasn't even a full story. Um, It'll be a 10-minute film. It was a shorty. It's a short yeah. film. And so what was that? 2006, right? Or was it 2005? This was, I believe, around 2005-ish to 2006-ish. So we were doing amazingly well with the the company. And I approached Alan. And I'm like, Alan, I want to make this story. I I want to do it right. And he's like, well, how? I'm like, number one, I'm rewriting the whole script. And it's going to be more than 30 pages. <laughs> yeah, it was like 100 and something pages. I did rewrite it. It's the way, if I would have been able to do it, would have been very Hitchcockian in, in the, the angles. But more modern because there would have obviously been blood in it. Yeah. But it, I only I think, saw it as a thriller. Yeah, and I think we have to take into consideration too, you know, around 2005, 2006, you know, the the films that were coming out at that time, you know, we had the shock horror trope yes. that was really exploding at that point in time. So to kind of it wasn't it wasn't the thrillers or the mysteries it was the 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 exploitation kind of films you know Eli Roth even you yes. know not so much Quentin Tarantino at the time but saw uh just those super super gory films so I'm you know I imagine kind of trying to obviously you can't help but be inspired by that but then also like you said the Hitchcockian you know those you Brad, know, old very burn. yeah yeah, it would have been the end. Those 
What it made you scratch your head. <laughs> yeah, that kind of leaves a, a bitter taste because oh. I did so much work. And it just fell apart. It fell apart like days before you start shooting. Oh. But again, you know, I, I am totally of the belief, you know, yes, understandably, like bitter taste, all that. Uh, but also, how much did you get to learn about oh. that writing process of writing, you know, a screenplay and everything, you know? So so in that regard, you know, you have to be kind of not, I don't want to say thankful, but, you know, you can see there's there's something to it that that at least you didn't walk away empty handed in a in a knowledge sense you know well it, it was fun too because I, i'm smiling because there's this one scene and it's it's just a nightmare sequence and and the lead female is in this hospital room and a doctor and a nurse come in i cast the doctor and nurse I had no idea, none, that these two people knew each other. Not just they knew each other, but I guess they met at a party and had a one-night stand, and now they hate each other. And when they found out they were working together, they're like, one of us has got to go. We're oh not working to go. Uh, like only in Hollywood. Yeah. No, that's where you got to put your professional pants on, guys, and just do your stuff. So then, okay, so shortly after, I think we're entering about 2008 at this point, um, when the economy collapsed, you know, the, the company ran into a whole new slew of issues. And you had been able to venture into another career path. Uh, these were years, I don't think they, <laughs> I think it's safe to say, they weren't easy to navigate for anyone. Uh, but I mean, it's got to feel like a major punch to the throat when you're aiming to be a home for escapism. You know, it's one of my favorite words. I think it's very fitting to creative fields because it just fits. Uh, do you think that, you know, this time was integral in your journey uh, as a creative, uh, not as a business person, not as a business person, uh, but strictly on the spectrum of creativity in trying to figure out how to balance reality and necessary escapism in this time, kind of how a lot of people dealt with COVID, you know. It absolutely was. This is where I started writing some of my darkest stuff. Understandably. Uh, in fact, I gave you a, a book that it's a dark one. Yep. <laughs> I went back to my, my writing roots. Because 
Okay, let's back up. So October, the market fell out. Our business account went from like 15,000, I think, because we were going to come out with two of them. And we were with Washington Mutual. Washington Mutual did not survive that crash. So we lost everything. Yeah. Lost my 401k. Lost my house. Lost my truck. Lost my job. Because, of course, working for a hospital, a for-profit hospital, they want to make their money. So they fired everybody that was making a lot of money. And I had been there for almost a decade by this point. So I was one of the higher paid people. And of course, you were the most expendable, right? Yep. Yeah. And we lost everything except each other. That would come later. And we, so I had lost everything. We were going to move to Nevada. I needed money. We were burning through our savings like crazy. <laughs> if you're listening to this, we're so I'm sorry. Uh, I yeah yeah, you'll see why I say I'm sorry. Hope you're still my friend after this. <laughs> so I needed money, and Russo was doing really really well. He was working on his Typhus movie. I called Russo and I said, Al, okay, this is what's going on. Terry had an accident. He's in the hospital. I've lost everything. I just don't mentally have the capability to run anything. I'll say you the I'll say you at the time it was called it was Dark Myth Production Studios. I'll sell it to you. And He's like, how much? I said, I think it was like 25, 30,000. But you can pay me $1,000 a month until you pay that. He said, okay, I like that idea. I said, but if you miss a payment, then everything reverts back to me. <laughs> See why? <laughs> He's like, well, thousand dollars a month. I could, I could do a thousand dollars. Okay. Okay. You need to pay up. And what we'll do is, I'll take that money and we'll move to Nevada. And that's what he did. And so I sold the company to Russo. Full well knowing, at some point, it was going to come back to me. <laughs> Sorry, Al. <laughs> yeah. He paid for my trip to Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> and I was out there and I had nothing to do with anything. Uh, he wanted me to be CEO still. And I was like, I just, I don't have it right now. I yeah. just had these really bad thoughts. 
I felt like a loser. I thought about suicide. And I turned to my writing and I, I started producing these stories. So I went back to who I was, who I am, the writer that basically all the stories that are in It's a Dark Ride was created in that time frame. Yeah. Which is funny because that's literally actually what I start. I broach that topic because before 2011, you had, I wrote this, you had stepped back <laughs> for understandable reasons. And both you and Terry, uh, this year you experienced life altering medical emergencies. You had learned something about your own health at this time. And there were some major decisions to be made. So you sold dark myth. Um, and then things just got worse. I mean, and and that's that's a whole other kick in the head, right? Uh, but you know, this is where I, I asked this. So it's funny that you brought it up because, um, you know, di- did you get to take the the step back and operate as a writer again? Uh, you know, and that had to be refreshing, uh, if even a bit of a silver lining, if you will. Um, very therapeutic. Yeah. And I was going to say, do you think it was worth it, especially for your health at the time? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because when I exited the darkness, it was, I was a different person. And a lot of that writing helped me get that darkness out because when I stepped out is when I found out Lacey was pregnant with Zoe and then we moved back to California I mean I still have issues with congestive heart failure like right now my legs are super swollen but that's just something that I have to deal with. <laughs> but it was very I don't want to say I don't know, maybe it was without my writing, I don't know if I'd still be here. I understand that. I understand that. It's you know it's a scary thing. You know, you said Lacey had just found out she was pregnant. You know, that puts into your mind, oh, you know, she's got this is a whole thing that we need to to talk about and put our focus and energy into. We can't balance my mental health, you know, with you know, this situation. Uh, you know, we've got my physical health, not me, but you, you know, your physical yeah. health to think about. And I think you know, I, I always, to me, I mean, yes, therapy, yes, whatever, whatever means to, to help, you know, mental states, especially in their most vulnerable moments are, are absolutely lucrative, but they're not always accessible. It's not always easy to, to get that help. And the idea of writing, you know, and putting those thoughts out there, um, you're, you're putting for, you know, when, when everything in your brain, it just 
feels like the smoky haze of confusion. You can't, you can't navigate it. It's just, it's dark, murky water. So when you're able to write it out, it's suddenly that tangibility. You're, you're creating the visibility of that, you know, nested organization of these thoughts, no matter how negative, no matter how intrusive, no matter how bad or, you know, sad or horrible, when you can see, you know, I, you know, as bleak as it is, I don't want to exist anymore. When you can see that instead of just feeling that, I think that it helps you register and understand that in a different way, you know, than just feeling it all encompassing. Um, at least that's been my experience <laughs> with writing and dealing well, with no, you, you, You're very correct because one of the things that I've mentioned here is, is you know, the company, I look at the company as, as uh, my family. Now, the company previous to the downfall of the market was huge. Up until recently, that was the marquee where it needed to go back. And unfortunately, when I ran out of money, the people that worked for me (laughs) ran out of friendship. Yeah. And that was a big lesson to learn too. Um, that's why I'm more particular about who becomes who's an employee who goes into the inner circle. Yeah. Um, because in 2010, I found myself alone, other than my writing. Not the scary place. <laughs> Even the person that I thought was my best friend. No, I'm not talking about Terry. But somebody else I thought was my best friend. I had no friend. He didn't bother to write. He didn't bother to text. Email. Just not even, are you still alive? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is me. I'm just, I'm, I'm this is the whole, uh, a trick that we should have started this whole interview with trigger warning, Dave specifically. <laughs> 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 no, okay, so let's let's jump into something that I am truly, truly curious. I don't know uh if if I'll get in trouble for asking this and you can stop me or we can put some bleeps up. I'm not sure. Um, so ultimately, Dark Myth, it did find its way back into your hands uh mm-hmm. come 2011. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Dark Myth actually saw some accolades and nominations uh on the is it the pre-editors and editors editors. yeah and uh for best magazine best editor and best story Uh but one moment in the year I mean that's all great don't get me wrong (laughs) but one moment in this year is what perked me perked my ears the most uh come the end of November 
a certain book was released that wound up actually being banned in parts of Australia and parts of the UK. Uh Uh, And the book was titled, is it Lamia? Lamia? Lamia. Lamia. Uh, The Awakening. So I'll just insert my own bleep. What the bleep was it about? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Give us the Cliff Notes version. She was a vampire that I believe it was her uncle. She had a thing with her uncle. And lots of killing, lots of It was it was published by Veronica, Veronica Publications. Uh, if it would have come by desk, I mean, honestly, if it would have ran across my desk, I would have been rejected. Uh, <laughs> it was very much terror horror. It was just <laughs> in written form. It was just horrific. I mean, the, the stuff that this woman came up with it was just like I'll tell you off air because I can't see it here. <laughs> would it would it have given Poppy Z Bright a run for his money? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then that's all I need to know. And now I'm gonna go find that book. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we let that. That was the first book that we let the rights go. Well, because it just seemed like, like, like I said, if it, if it was getting banned in parts of countries, you know, and I'm not for censorship, I understand, you know, but it's like that, that's got to be a learning experience as well. You know, that's just got to be a very daunting moment <laughs> to navigate. So, Terry, what are you saying? <laughs> like, I thought it'd be funny. I'm like, do you know how much money it cost me? Well, lesson learned. Okay. So now, now <laughs> yeah. my curiosity is Destiny West. <laughs> that so, was her name, the author's name, Destiny West. Destiny West. I'm going to find that. All right. So, huh? I say, how's that for memory? Yeah, there you go. I know. That's the funniest part is like, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I'm referring to it. And I've tried to, to, to make sure that, you know, the audience knows what we're talking about. And when you do publish, you know, the rise and fall, uh, I think everybody will, will really comprehend uh, what exactly we're talking about, but you, you grasp what I am, where I'm headed per the year. So, okay. So 10 years ago in 2012, it's when we begin to see the iterations of identities uh, we know today, including the world of myth and also exploration into the realm of podcasting. Yes. And it was then that you branched out and created the Jason Productions and brought to life a handful of shows uh, just as we started to see the rise uh, and the essentially the trend in podcasting in general. 
Uh, what was the light bulb moment you think where you knew you wanted to step into this endeavor of podcasting? Last episode, you had talked about the interview, the guy that didn't know I was a writer. Uh, that actually was the moment. Oh. See, very rarely do I have a selfish moment. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm just not a selfish person. I'm just the way it is. But Jay's Omar, which I don't know if you've picked this up yet, but my name, my my last name is Montoya. At the time, I only had two kids: <laughs> Jaden, Zoe. Zoe. Jay, Zoe, Mon, Montoya. I do know that one. I missed Aotnam, but <laughs> so. Before the Jason Modcast came out, it was Jason Productions, Jason Publishing Publications, and I wanted to be selfish. I wanted to produce only my stuff because you could rely on yourself. Yes, you don't then, have to rely on other people. You can rely on you and your content. And I'm just being totally honest here, is in that period, I was publishing people, you know, whether it be the Little Myth or books or Herotica, because Herotica magazine was one at the time, too. A thank you. That's all it could have taken. Just a thank you. Yeah. And I got butt hurt I guess it's the best way to say it I'm like forget it if you people can't be considerate enough to say thank you that's all a thank you I'll do it for myself it's like they've forgotten that you were a person and assumed you were just you were you were an entity right instead of a human being one of the things that I pride myself on as far as being a business owner is I will never ask anybody to do anything I haven't done myself. Yeah. So if I ask you to do something, that means that I've personally done it. Yeah. Well, I can write, I can edit, you know, so that's what I did. I started putting out short stories online to read for free just to circulate the notice that David K. Montoya is a writer. <laughs> now with the Jason Modcast, how that came about was who was it? Somebody told me about a podcast and I found out that Kevin Smith was podcasting. <laughs> because I was one of those people that are like podcasting. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Is that a new type of iPod? No. <laughs> so back up a year, Rebecca, my sister, we had one of our mini fallouts. And we didn't talk for a year. 
So we decided to get together every week and just talk. And I was like, well, let's record them. That's where the podcasting came from. <laughs> we re- talk, record. We have a, a, a audio record of what was said because the fight that happened was just a misunderstanding. Mm. And we'd be at my place once a week. So we're seeing each other. We're hanging out, you know, build that family bond. And then it occurred to me, well, why stop there? Have Mary Lynn or S.A.D. Burbank do the same thing. Have Carrie do the same thing. And that's where it started. It's just to, I'm a very scheduled person. You know, I, I legitimately, I'm, I'm a yeah. scheduled person. So if I dedicate an hour on this day to talk for an hour with this person, it's going to happen. Yeah. And it never was meant to be a network. But it evolved. Yeah. But it grew. By the time it started, you know, we had seen Red, which was talking to Rebecca and Aaron, and then went in Burbank, which I was talking to S. A. D. Burbank, and then I did one called Who's the Boss? <laughs> and then I did one called Share Darkness with Terry, where I was talking to Terry. That's four right there. Yeah. And then another guy wanted to come on as Saturday segments. So I had five <laughs> shows. <laughs> Running and it became a network, yeah. Because what else are you gonna do with all that? <laughs> like, it's gotta, it's gotta have a nice little package to it. So, yeah, that's where it started. And that'll do it for this episode. Uh, I think this is a good place to stop it for today. Uh, Next week, we will continue our super, super in-depth conversation. And I hope you have enjoyed this lengthy discussion so far and look forward to the next bit. And until next week, you can find us at theworldofmyth.com on Facebook and Twitter at the World of Myth Bits Podcast and the World of Myth Magazine, as well as Instagram at the World of Myth Bits. Thank you so much for your time, and until next time. Sure.